good afternoon, New Hope. Um, my name is Param again, and it's a joy to be with you guys. Um, Hello, preacher. Th- thanks, uh, preacher. Uh, um, Pastor Jonathan is um, on vacation with his wife. He, I believe they're on a cruise, so um, he had me step in. And uh, he tasked me with preaching on sanctification. And so um, he must have sensed the, the holiness in me probably. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. Um, well, sanctification. I, I, um, I was thinking about how I could open this. Um, and I was thinking about the ministries I'm involved in in the church. And I think probably my favorite ministry that I'm involved in in the church is between youth group. Okay, youth group, don't, don't worry. I love you guys. But it's youth group or it's nursery. And I think one of the joys I have as a, um, a Bible teacher to these kids is that I get to see their growth. Uh, and I get to see not only their spiritual growth, but literally their physical growth. And, um, you know, I'm often reminded in the nursery that, um, you know, your, your, your babies and your kids, um, you, you might not see the day-to-day difference in, in, in their stature or their, 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 uh, their height. But to me... It seems like they are growing really fast. And so I'm very, I'm very shocked. Every week I'm like, oh my goodness, Adam, you are really, you're like, you're growing. Or um, Emily too. So, um, but yeah, so today I want to talk about um, uh, growth in the Christian life, uh, specifically the doctrine of sanctification. And um, throughout the series, we've been de- defining the gospel as God has come to rescue and renew all creation through the work of Jesus. And so last week, Pastor Jonathan went through the doctrine of justification. That is, the gospel has saved us from the penalty of sin. Next week, we're going to be talking about glorification. That is, the gospel saving us from the presence of sin. But today, I have the honor of opening us up on how God has, is, is saving us from the power of sin. And so, um, now, I, I understand that some of these terminologies uh, can sound like I'm from Harvard. And so, uh, please, bear with, please bear with us. But it's really important that we understand these, term, uh, these words because um, just like as if you went to a doctor to get an x-ray, um, and, and, you know, you, at first time, when you look at the x-ray, you don't understand how to read it. You actually need a professional, Right? Well, I think that these doctrines help us to see how one bone fits next to the next bone and the next bone fits to the next bone and actually gives us an x-ray of our salvation, our spiritual life in Christ. And so the doctrine of sanctification, it's not about boasting in knowledge, but about knowing the incredible work of what God is doing in us. And so I want to give us a roadmap for where I'm taking this sermon. And I have three points. The first one is defining sanctification. What is the meaning? So we're going to unpack the meaning because, you know, you, we can be talking about the thing without really knowing what the thing means. Um, the second thing is developing sanctification. How do we make progress? How do we make progress in the Christian life? And lastly, discovering victory and sanctification. Can we truly transform? I think the second and third point you'll notice are very similar in, in my sermon. And so let's start off with defining sanctification. What is the meaning? Sanctification is an outworking of an inward transformation. It is the outworking of inward transformation. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2.12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, 
but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just as a quick observation in the text, notice that Paul says, work out. He does not say, work for your salvation. That's a very important uh, difference. We are not working for our salvation. We are working out. That means sanctification is an outworking of this inward transformation. I think oftentimes in the Christian life, we can confuse, actually, these two things, justification and sanctification, how we begin in the Christian life and how we continue in the Christian life. And it's important as Christians that we understand the connection between the gospel and our growth. It's important to understand that Christ's work for us is the foundation for his work in us. Or in other ways, that canceled sin is connected to conquered sin, okay? There is no sin that Jesus has forgiven you for that you cannot overcome. And I want you guys to know that as Christians. I know this is a very discouraging sermon sometimes to talk about sanctification, but we can overcome. Um, you know, I remember when I was a sophomore going to St. John's here, and I came to church like one of the first few times, and Pastor Tom, uh, Pastor Tom Richter gave this illustration, and actually it really resonated with me. I, I think I started to grasp the gospel, and it was about the New York City Marathon, and so I know some people here are working to get into the New York City Marathon, but if you, if you have not yet tried to get in the New York City Marathon, there's a couple of ways that you can get in, but probably the most popular way to get into the New York City Marathon is to do something called nine plus one. Nine plus one. You run nine races, so it can be 5Ks, 10Ks, so on, half marathons, and then you volunteer for one, one race. So it's a nine plus one. And I think the way that Pastor Tom drew this for me, he said, you know, so many people in our Christian life is, are still trying to work to get into the race without knowing actually what gets us in the race is Jesus. Jesus is the reason we are in the race. He has gone before us and completed the nine plus one. He is the one who, by our faith, through faith, we have, been rece we have received the priceless gift that we can never own. So when we sing, Jesus paid it all. We can truly say Jesus did pay it all. He got us into the race. And now, sanctification is that process by which we are now starting the race. We are beginning this race. We are running. And it's a tiring race, right? Amen? <laughs> well, we can run the race because Jesus did get us into it. That's what the Christian life is about. We cannot work our way to be accepted by God. It is by His sheer grace our running, our ability to work out our salvation, our sanctification is only evidence of our justification, an inward transformation that God has done a work in our hearts, that we've been birthed again to his kingdom. And so scripture um, is pretty clear that we are supposed to work out our salvation. There's so many passages I could bring up in scripture. You can think about all the imperatives, but here are a couple. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. James says it this way, so also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is what Jesus would say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Guys, our, our work, our working, our sanctification, our working out of this inward transformation is evidence that Jesus has done this work in us. It is inconceivable to say Jesus is our Savior without making him Lord. He is Savior and Lord, right? Amen? Okay, amen. You know, um, I'm going to call, call Brian out because everyone knows him. <laughs> so, you know, if you invite Brian Whitaker over to you, your house, you can't tell Brian Whitaker, okay, um, Brian, please come over to my house, but Whitaker, you got to stay out. That, that's impossible. You, you can't say, I want half of Brian and I want half of... No, you, you, you can't. It's not possible. In the same way, so many of us, uh, and not us, but maybe people say, I would like the saving Jesus. I would like the loving Jesus. I would like the helping Jesus. I would like the Jesus who can ask me to help... Sorry, uh, who I can ask for help through hard times. But I don't want the holy Jesus, the powerful Jesus, the Jesus who is Lord over all of life. He's Lord, guys. We uh, live surrendered we, uh, to the lordship of Jesus. Guys, he's not only Lord over all, over all of our lives, he's Lord over all creation. Colossians says that um, by the word of his power, he upholds the universe. That means that Jesus, with his pinky, could hold the universe. You don't ask someone who can hold the universe by his pinky to be your assistant, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, he's either Lord of your life or he's not. And so this is essential to the Christian life, that our sanctification is this working out. It is that what James says, that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our works evidence our inward transformation. And so the natural question comes up, how, how do we make progress? How, how do we grow in the Christian life? And that brings me to point number two, developing in sanctification. Now, it, it could be very easy for me to um, give you 10 steps to follow, two Keller sermons to listen to, um, five books to read, three songs to listen, uh, uh, sing to, but giving you a checklist of things to do would only be scratching at the surface of how true change happens. What changes us fundamentally as Christians? It's understanding, actually, who we are in Christ, our union with him, our true identity. And so, um, you know, imagine if Bill Gates, for example, Bill Gates adopted um, an orphan. Um, let's say he adopted an orphan from Nepal. And this orphan comes over to Bill Gates' house, and Bill Gates says, anything I have is yours. And, and you know, you can enjoy anything. So he, you know, plays his Xbox, he watches the TV, he enjoys the good life. But then when dinner or supper comes around, he leaves the house and he actually goes to the neighbor's house and the next neighbor's house and he's knocking, for, knocking uh, on the door for food. Well, what would you tell that kid? Do you know who you are? Do you not know who you've been adopted by? Do you not know your true identity? In the same way, I think so many of us in the Christian life paddleboard aimlessly in the shallow waters of superficial change. We follow these 10 steps. We read that good book. We, we go to that conference. But all of these things are just scratching at the surface. What actually changes us 
is diving deep into discovering who we truly are in Christ, our union with Him. And so the Bible, um, the Bible gives numerous examples of this, right? You can think about what Jesus says in John 10, that we are His sheep and He is our shepherd, that we are members of His body and He is the head. Jesus says this in John 15, that I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much good fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Ephesians 5.32 talks about he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. There's so many metaphors that we can talk about our relationship with the Lord, but one particular example has uh, stuck out to me in which um, Paul explains our unity, our solidarity with the Lord Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so, in, in, this is in Romans 6. And so, you know, let me just set the context here. Paul, Paul is addressing this very common objection. This is very understandable, is uh, the gospel of grace uh, is not an encouragement for us to sin more. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, like, if Jesus died for us, then why don't we just continue on sinning? Because his grace will cover us. And this is with the words of Paul. This is what he says. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we, have if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let me translate this passage to you. There is no amount of sin, Christian, there is no amount of sin that you will do that the Lord Jesus' grace will not cover. His grace will always outrun your sin. Amen? Amen. But that does not mean we get to sin it up all the more because His grace, is, his grace to us is not like a business transaction. It's not as if He pays for our penalty, he, you know, pays for our sin, and then leaves us. No, we're actually united to Him. Paul says that when Jesus went down to the grave for our sins, we too died to our sins. When Jesus rose from the grave, we too rose with him so that we might walk in newness of life. What is Paul saying? He's saying the reason we can overcome our canceled sin is because our nature has changed. We have been united to the risen Lord who is above. That's all of us who are in Christ. Uh, I, I'm, um, I'm currently reading a book. I'm rereading a book. I read this book every year. Uh, it's by a guy named James Clear, who is a New York Times bestseller author. You guys might have read his book. It's called Atomic Habits. And in the book, he actually addresses how we as individuals can change our habits and behaviors. And very early on in the book, he, he actually argues that true behavior change, true habit change, is only a reflection of your identity. See, it's one thing to say, he says this, it's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's something very different to say, the, I'm the type of person who is this. So, for, ex for example, 
You may have the goal to lose weight. I think everyone here has the goal to lose weight, right? Amen? All right. Uh, I'm not saying anyone's fat, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I just hear like, what's your goal? It's like losing weight. That's very common. Well, well yeah, everybody has that goal. But, but to, to say that I want to lose weight is just getting at the superficial. It's getting at the, the surface level of the water. What James Clear is saying is actually the way someone changes is they stop saying, I want to lose weight, and they start saying, yeah, I'm a gym rat, or uh, yeah, I'm a, I, I don't know, what do you call these people? People who are like, fitness buff, yeah. You know, these, these are people who identify with the action. And Paul says, actually, it's very similar. Our Christian life is very similar, that we are not defined by exactly what we do, but who we are in Christ. When Jesus died for our sins, we too went with him. And so it's important for us to understand our identity is how we truly change. And so, um, you know, th- this is a, a good place to actually talk about, like practically, when um, a brother or sister sins in our, in our community, for example, or they sin against us or they sin against someone, and they come to confess it, and they come clean to you, the wrong answer is, the wrong way to go about that is to, is, is to pound them. It is not the right way true change happens. You don't pound them into saying, you could have done better. You failed. What were you doing? What were you thinking? That's not how true change happens, right? I mean, every time, uh, you know, if I ever came to someone and they did that to me, I would not change. I would just feel more shame and more guilt. And the way that Paul is telling us to address each other is actually our union, that this brother or sister is united to Christ. They need to be reminded who they truly are. The only reason they were acting in another way was because they were not acting out of their true identity. Amen? So in our, in our counseling, in our ministering, as in our deacon ministry, we need to be careful about how we treat people who come to us and confess sin. And I think, our church is, I, I think our church understands that well, so praise the Lord for that. Um, now, I, I understand that um, a, a lot of this union with Christ, justification, sanctification, can seem very over the top of the head, and, and sometimes it doesn't sink down to the heart. And so I want to talk about my point number three, discovering victory in sanctification. Can we truly transform? I want to just title, under this title, I want to, go over why sanctification is, number one, puzzling, number two, sanctification is a process, and number three, sanctification is a promise. It's, a, it's puzzling, it's a process, and it's a promise. Okay, so number one, sanctification is puzzling. Paul, um, Paul actually addresses why sanctification is puzzling. You know, um, I, I think a lot of people don't really know this passage from Scripture, but it is remarkable that the apostle of the apostles, the apostle Paul, would say this. He would say this in Romans 7. So no longer it is, sorry, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in, within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then Paul would continue and say this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the chief apostles saying immediately, I am a sinner. 
I deal with indwelling sin. And for all of us who are in Jesus, because Jesus has justified us freely by His grace, does not mean that sin is not an ongoing reality in our lives. There is indwelling sin. There is present and influence of this sin in our lives. And so even after our conversion, there are remnants of it. And so it's important to understand, though, that this sinful behavior that, that uh, we sometimes come across is not what ultimately defines us. And I, I talked about this in my point before, but it's not our identity, okay? So think about, um, uh, really, like, let's just think about a good army and a bad army. I'm not going to name real places because we, we all are going to get political about it, okay? Good army and bad army. Let's say the, bad, the good army overcomes this bad army and this bad government, and they conquer rule. They establish their authority. This place is now ruled by the good army, and the bad army retreats to the forest, okay? Well, sometimes in the Christian life, actually this bad army, this sinful nature that we have, actually shows up time and time and time again. But we have to be reminded, who owns, who owns the uh, country or city or who owns this army? It's actually the good army. And that's exactly our reality in Christ is that we deal with ongoing sin, this remaining flesh. And, but it doesn't define who we truly are. And so um, as an application, I think that it's important that we acknowledge this. First John says that, if we say we are without sin, we are liars. If we say we are without sin, we are liars. I think that actually when we look at each other, like we have to realize, guys, everyone here deals with some sin. And I know that in, I know when you're going through your Christian life, you're always thinking like, I'm the only one at church who deals with this. And that is an utter lie. It's, it's, there is probably another believer who is facing what you are believing. Amen. And I think this gives warrant the reality of indwelling sin gives us warrant to be honest with one another. You know, I'm so grateful for um, uh, Brother Nick and Brother Shamar because these guys are like, they're my brother in arms. Like, I can call them up. I can text them. I say, hi, I need, I need prayer right now. I need, I need to confess some sin to you. I was really rude with Brittany. Uh, I see Brittany sitting in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> sorry, Brittany. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know she was going to be in here. So, um, so um, where was I? Okay, indwelling sin, yeah. So it, it allows us to be honest with one another. And um, actually, there, there's a really great quote by a Christian author named Dean Orland about honesty in the Christian life and justification and sanctification. Okay, so hear this out. When you trust God enough to speak your sinfulness to another human, the channels of your heart are open to feeling forgiven. That's really important, feeling forgiven. This is because the same pride that stops us from confessing our sins to a brother or sister also hinders our felt belief in the gospel. Pride hinders fellowship both horizontally and vertically. Evading honesty before another Christian is more fundamentally a rejection of the gospel itself. Refusing to be honest with one another is works righteousness in disguise. We are believing that we need to save face, to retain uprightness of appearance. But in conversion to Christianity, we have already acknowledged that we are hopeless, helpless, sinful, with nothing to contribute but our need. 
The gospel says we have nothing within ourselves to commend us to God. Why would we leave that out in Christian fellowship and pretend that we have to, do, we have to be virtuous and so that God can commend us? We must be consistent. And so honesty is, honesty is one of the fruits of, I think, of being a Christian, is that you can come to confess your sin. Now, I'm not saying in the middle of your uh, small group you air out your dirty laundry or anything. No, I'm, I'm saying that you need to take a brother or sister and you need to find someone you can be truly honest to. I think that will spur you on not only to know in your head that you're forgiven, but actually feel that you're forgiven. So number one, sanctification is puzzling because of indwelling sin. But number two, sanctification is a process. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are being transformed from one into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You know, I know that um, it, it seems actually when we reflect on our Christian life that, pr- that sanctification is so slow, right? It's so slow. We're growing so slowly, the fervency of our spirit, the zeal in our hearts, our prayer life, our love for one another, our attendance even at church. It seems slow, but the Lord is really doing this work in us. And so, you know, um, you know, in, in elementary school, if you're not a Gen Z, by the way, if you're older than Gen Z or, uh, you know, born before 2000, you probably had at school a protractor, something called a protractor. I don't, oh, they have it. Okay, Maddie has it. So, okay, good, good. A protractor. You know, the, the most incredible thing about a protractor is that, you know, you can start off with the smallest angle. Let's just say one degree or two degrees or three degrees. And when you create that angle, it looks so small, right? It's only like three degrees. Well, but you need to actually draw the lines out. What, what happens with the lines? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, okay, the, the line, yeah. So that's, see, our sanctification is the same process. You know, I, I brought the imagery of the nursery um, of, uh, of baby Emily and Adam. Uh, shout out to Renee and Jess and Evan and, and Priya. Uh, that... Um, these babies, when they come, they're so small. But after a month, after three weeks, you know, after some time, they just grow and grow and grow. And the same thing is with our Christian life. We can say sometimes, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Amen, church? He is doing a work in us, which brings me to last, my last point, which is sanctification is a promise. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself, it's a really important word, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It is God. Philippians 2.12 says, yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But what is the grounds for that? It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's not worry. It's not that we need to work our way to earn salvation. What, what is it? It is that it is God who
who works in and through us. It is through the Holy Spirit that he's given us this. He's given us the ability to delight in his law. And moreover, he will sanctify us completely himself. Look at the verse. Sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is a promise. Sanctification is not something that, you know, yeah, you've been saved by grace and now you're continuing on in works. No, sanctification is a work of grace itself. It is birthed out of our union with him, our new identity. And moreover, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so one day we will look forward to that ultimate fulfillment of this promise of sanctification when the Lord Jesus returns. When he returns, we will be fully sanctified and glorified. Jonathan is going to teach on this next week, but glorification, the next phase, is sanctification completed. We cannot separate our justified status with our sanctified status and continue on works. We have to know that our identity is in Christ. You hear me, church? You got me? Amen? Okay. Now, to end my sermon, I'm going to read Romans 8. This is a promise for us, and this is what Paul says. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our reality. He has begun a good work in you, and he will be sure to complete it one day. Amen? Uh, let me pray for us, church. Father God, we thank you that in Christ we have been irrevocably given this special union that we cannot, we cannot be touched. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And so I know there's probably believers in here who are just gripping with their last bit of strength to you. I just pray that your Holy Spirit now would allow them to, to let go and to realize that actually we're in the palm of your hands. It is your grip we're held by, Father God. And we pray that you would continue the sanctifying work. Help us to now walk in good works in light of all these truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.